With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're listening to Connecting the Dots with Matt Arendt on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. TNT. All right. Welcome back to the third hour, first segment of Connecting the Dots on TNT Radio. I'm very, very happy to be joined today by Jason Storm Nelson, who is a founder of Prepper Beef, uh, Prepper All Naturals, and uh, anybody who wants to avoid lab-grown uh, beef or eating bugs should definitely check this out. And, you know, it's important right now to think about the fact that we are living through a very historic moment. There is a systemic breakdown on multiple levels, a whole a whole bunch of potential triggers that could be the catalyzers for the, the systemic meltdown. We're seeing all sorts of messaging of, uh, of false flag operations that could be unleashed once again as the excuse to uh, blow out the already, um, I mean, I guess the economy used to be a, a, an industrial economy in America and the West. Now we just have a giant speculative bubble built upon unpayable debts ready to be popped like all bubbles are. Uh, so there's a lot of points of crisis. So Jason has been thinking about this for a long time. He's been somebody who has brought certain types of teaching techniques uh, to prepare people for how do you protect your family, your community, um, while also thinking about uh, reclaiming the nation. Jason has run for Congress um, and has, you know, this is what I like about you, Jason. When I, when I was looking over your websites, is that you're not one of these black pill people who are just like, okay, I'm going to just go full prepper and like forget about politics and just like think about my little local mini environment. You're doing that. But at the same time, you're also thinking about how can we possibly take back the country? You're running for politics. You're, you're, yeah, be, you're part of the fight. So thank you for coming on. I really appreciate having you here for the last hour. Hey, Matt, thank you so much for having me on. And I, I really appreciate it. I, uh, that's a great introduction, but I, I don't think, um, <clears throat> I think that part of uh, of what is lost in the history of a lot of people, when you look at a pattern of who people are, what make them up, you know, I didn't serve for 20 years in, in the military because I mean, I did it for many reasons, but primarily it was to protect and serve the, uh, the Constitution and, and to defend the average American who can't serve. I mean, I think a lot of people, it's really weird to tell people, hey, I served in the military, and then they always respond with one of three things. And one of them is always going to be an excuse for why they couldn't serve a medical reason or, Hey, I, I chose this instead. And I always want to stop them and say, why are, why are you saying that? Like, obviously if everyone could serve, then it wouldn't be a sacrifice to go and serve. Right. Mm. And I, I, I say that because I find it confusing when a lot of people as they've moved into the public sphere or the private uh, industry, if you will, both of which, Everyone sort of does this whole, well, it's a big deal that you're doing this. And I get, keep going, well, I don't understand the difference. This is supposed to be the mission. I'm supposed to care about every American. And and at the same time, I'm supposed to uh, uh, integrate myself into my local community and, and serve that community as well. And I don't see these missions as being incongruent. I see them as being one and the same. And it's supposed to be what we are and who we are as Americans. No, that's very well said. It's really the difference of being a, a true citizen versus a subject is you're you're personally taking responsibility and serving your 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 nation, your family, your world. And and that's that's a, that's a state of mind that we've really fallen out of touch with increasingly over the past decade. So I appreciate that uh, that ability that you have to put this into words as a very human thing. 
And uh, let me ask you this, to, to get the, the show on the road here, um, it strikes me a little bit, we're about 10 months away from, from a, a very important uh, federal election in America. And I just alluded to a whole bunch of trigger points that could create a massive amount of chaos, um, a systemic breakdown of the banking system, but so many other points that could be triggers. It seems like there are uh, aspects of the deep state that are pushing for a civil war, um, almost like they want it feasibly that are that are pushing on the issue of the border uh right now uh what do you what's your take on that what's your assessment of that uh that analysis or that opinion you know i <clears throat> i read a very great so first of all your 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 initial assessment is absolutely correct so it, it it doesn't just feel like it's very clear that whether it be through uh the global globalism or whether it be through uh a push by the deep state uh for its own independent power grab that they are pushing for and that there will be uh, massive violence after the outcome of this election. And depending on who wins, it will go on for months. Uh, it, it, there's just no question. But I think that when people try to phrase this as though it's a civil war, um, they're they're missing the larger picture because there's a lot of people. And I read an, a very great piece on this, so I don't want to claim this is my original thought. And I wish I could attribute the writer. I think it was in The American Thinker. But they referred to it. They said, Everyone keeps saying it's going to be a civil war, but actually it's more of a revolutionary war. And and I want to be clear that I am uh, I have no intention of overthrowing my government or anything like that. So uh, I'm not talking about treason. I'm just talking about the idea that what, what do you think is going to happen? You know, like Florida is going to go toe to toe with New York. You know, that's just not how that's not how it plays out, not in a country with nuclear weapons. And that's not really what the anger is right now. There isn't a state versus state in a legislature. I mean, we we are talking about Texas is, is almost purple. You know, a lot of these countries, what, what do they think is going to be the outcome? I think what we're really talking about is an overstepping of the deep state and the federal power, uh, federal bureaucracy where they've overstepped their power. Um, the legislature won't rein them in. Uh, and so people feel powerless. And I think what they want to do is they don't want to fight each other. They just want to overthrow these shackles that have been placed on them by uh, by a debt ridden government that doesn't know how to govern. Yeah, well said. And I mean, I was just reading about and, and it's great that you just made the point. Texas is mostly a, a purple state. That's a that's a great way of pointing this out. It's not a, a red state per se. You can't simplify it that way. There's a lot of people who vote Democrat in Texas, but they're seeing their lives being destroyed by a serious objective issue. And I was just reading a Rasmussen poll that pointed out that net 69% of U.S. voters, voters um, support Texas barriers, like the Texas policy on 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 the border issue. Um, that's huge. That's huge. I mean, it, it's, it, it's just common sense that the economy is going into a death spiral. There is a serious crisis of jobs. There's a serious injustice economic. And so by just having a flooding through of the borders, it, it's 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 only going to exasperate the destruction of families and of lives. It's 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 an obvious thing. So on there's something that came up recently. There was a vote to impeach uh, Alejandro Mayorkas by a vote of very close 20, 214 for impeachment against 213. Um, this is the first time that this would that, that we've seen this in American history, as far as a sitting uh, cabinet secretary who's been impeached this way. Um, what is your take? Do you think it's going to go anywhere? Why? And for those who may not even know that this is happening, can you maybe say a little bit something about uh, 
Mayorkas's does does he deserve it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so Secretary uh, Mayorkas as the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security uh, has many jobs, uh, but primarily, or I would say primarily, but you would look at it as it, he essentially defends these nations' borders. Uh, that's what he's been tasked with using the resources that have been made available to him, including border patrol. Now, Biden's policies and the execution of those policies uh, through essentially skirting laws that have been set forth by Congress, uh, they've what they've done is, is he's failed at his at three or four of his jobs. OK, so uh, immigration uh, in, enforcement, um, he's supposed to be uh, enforcing um, quotas. He's supposed to be sitting here and uh, ensuring that uh, we aren't having terrorists come into our country when we now know this is just an absolute fact. So. First of all, Secretary Mayorkas has failed. Does he deserve to be impeached? Absolutely. Uh, he should have been fired is actually what should have happened. It shouldn't have required Congress to impeach. Is it going to go any further? Is it is the Senate going to vote to impeach? Absolutely not. Uh, the Senate will not vote to impeach him. It won't happen. Uh, why won't it happen? Because even though, as you pointed out, 69 percent of Americans support Texas defending its borders, and even though the majority of Americans, overwhelming majority of Americans, uh, are now citing the border as being one of the top priorities for them in this election, um, I believe that uh, it, it's all one big uniparty. I mean, this is what everybody wants who's in power right now. It's not what the citizen wants, but it's what everybody in power wants. And And I also think that uh, if they do fire Mayorkas, then they turn around and take this off the table as an election issue in a in a sort of optics sense because he's taken out. Yeah, you can still throw it at Biden's feet, but it's not the same if you have some brash person come in and actually start you know, putting solutions in. And there's a lot of pet issues that both parties have that they never really actually want to solve. So right now what you're seeing is Texas is making the decision to defend its borders instead. And Mayorkas, um, again, they're not going to do anything. But at the federal level, I do see a, a real battle about to take place uh, between the rights of the state and the rights of the federal government or the responsibilities yeah. of the federal government, I should say. Absolutely. On the um, this recent deal, I was just reading on CBS News, they were just covering that a deal uh, that that somehow uh, empowers Biden and the federal government to secure the borders and and do has just been uh, agreed upon, which has a lot of loopholes. And it seems like it is actually going to only exasperate it. it, it there's something about uh, how um, th there would be an expansion of green cards and work permits by like fifty thousand per year. Um, what do you, do you have any any thoughts regarding what just uh, what's taking place here? <laughs> Well, OK, so first of all, we already have a system that allows in almost a million people per year on on various for various uh, uh, permanent residency. And then we also have a number of programs that allow people to come in. It's H1B1. I keep confusing it with the bird flu. Uh, but there are a number of visas that we allow people to come in, student visas, other things of that nature. That's not really the issue here. The issue is here is that you have people coming from every nation on earth through Mexico, which is a state that allows people to claim amnesty coming through the southern border, trying to claim amnesty here in the United States. And that law. So the original um, when they were going to give 61 billion to Ukraine and another 15 billion to Israel, and then they were going to tuck away 15 billion, they said, for uh, to solve this crisis at the border. But when you tore apart that bill, you found out that 
really it was money given to processing, money given to uh, for aid and other things like that. None of it was actually stopping the border. And when they said, well, here's what we'll do. We'll trigger a stay in Mexico policy, but only at one point six million per year. So you have your million that you allow and then an extra one point six million that you allow and, and that's before you trigger a policy that really actually isn't. And again, it's the way the policy set up. It could be exploited so that if people were to all cross in one day, it doesn't trigger you de- uh, or it would trigger. And then that's fine. But you could send over a million people in one day. Hypothetically, you could turn around and say that uh, 180 million people could come into the United States the way that bill, like you said, was filled with so many loopholes. And they continue to try to push this type of policy. None of it actually addresses who do we when when are we going to send everybody back to where they came from i mean it's far less expensive to send everybody back and then cover their expenses in their home country than it is to keep them here in the united states and that's just a general fa- i mean i can't even think of an example that would argue against my point i don't think we have many uh sh- you know shakes from the united arab emirates who've snuck across the border so uh these are the policies that we've always used and always put in place and now all of a sudden we've thrown them out the window because i think it's an intentional grab it's an intentional uh uh push to create um uh low-income workers uh because they have to cover for the fact that they've pushed families aside so much that americans are not reproducing at a rate that can actually sustain the elderly population or even our social security Um, And then there's just the idea of globalism in general, that the more you can destroy the foundations of the United States, the more you continue to allow in people that you don't ask to uh, uh, integrate into society. Instead, you allow them to create a subset, as we even have a congresswoman pointing out that she's here just to support Somalia. Uh, I mean, I don't know how else to phrase it, but this is essentially national suicide. That that is a sobering language you are using, but I think it's it's important because people have been a little bit drunk on certain illusions that have been sold to us for a little bit too long that have resulted in this crisis. And you know, the, I'm, I was reminded a little bit of these these images from the night from the 1930, 31, 32 uh, during the Great Depression, which was, by the way, for those who haven't looked at it, another um, controlled demolition of the world economy, or especially the American economy, by a bunch of Wall Street financiers who created a bubble in the 20s, con- create a controlled demolition. Uh, to to blow it out, create a wealth transfer, which we saw during the 1929, 30, 31, 32. And we saw a massive wealth transfer for everybody who knew that the that the bubble was going to be blown. They all bought up for pennies on the dollar farms, industry, real estate. Not that dissimilar in so many ways from the sort of operation that's been done again, once again, but on a bigger scale today. And there were these images of people of, of, of cities saying uh, jobless men keep walking. We can't take care of our own. And, you know, for me, I was always somebody who was very, I kind of came at this from a, from a left perspective. I was always very kind of, um, I didn't understand the immigration issue so much in my mind. I'm thinking, you know, well, you know, if we've got abundance and people are in, in crisis mode, let's give them some sanctuary, let's give them a job. And, and I think that's a common sense thing that most Americans, uh, prize. And that's in the statue of Liberty is the idea we're all immigrants in some way, right. From Europe, the old country. But the idea of uh, how this has been weaponized to undermine sovereign nation states and to destroy our society. And most of the people coming in don't even know how they don't. They're just trying to survive and eat. Most of them don't know how how these top down processes are going. This is all kind of a a newer discovery over the last, you know, 10 or so years for me. But I'd like to talk a little bit more about the weaponization of immigration as a policy from the George Soros apparatus when we come back from a short commercial break. 
on TNT Radio's Connecting the Dots, tntradio.live. TNT's Kate Shimarani. Well, it might surprise you that in the last 10 years, there's been a 96% increase in revenue from oncology drugs to $103 billion dollars in 2019. So it's incredible to think that the results are staggering that over the past decade, the proportional revenues from the sale of cancer drugs has increased by nearly 100%. Anyone would think that they knew, wouldn't they, what's coming? And over the same time period from non-cancer drugs that decreased by 20%, mm, All of these vaccine companies have now switched to oncology drugs as well. Kate Shimarani on today's News Talk TNT. Hi. I'm your retirement fear. But don't be scared. You're still in pre-tirement. Pre-tirement? Does that mean I have more time to plan? Precisely. Here, this is pretirement.org. Retirement savings options? <laughs> Potential tax breaks? Yep. Ooh. Oh, I could build up savings for my side hustle. This isn't scary. I'm doing it. You got this. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan. Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. Welcome back for the second segment of the third hour on TNT Radio's Connecting the Dots, where I'm joined by Jason Storm Nelson. Uh, we've been discussing the immigration crisis, the question of saving the nation, what's needed, what what is what do we need to understand, both as citizens within America, but citizens abroad. I'm in Canada, but it, it, it very much matters to me, the saving of America. I know that this is not good for Canada or the world if um, if the deep state gets their way and things go awry. So, Jason, um, quick question before we jump back into the conversation. Storm, where where does Storm come from? <laughs> it's actually got, it's short for storm chaser. Uh, it was a call sign that I was given uh, very early on, <clears throat> mostly used between uh, people who were mocking me. But I tend to have found myself uh, constantly in the middle of uh, dangerous situations uh, at where I would then just sort of react without conscious thought of my own uh, personal safety. So, uh, yeah, I, I just tend to I, I don't know why. My, my, if you look at the history of my life, you'll see that every couple of years it's just some sort of insanity, some hurricane in my life. So, yeah. Well, you you roll with the punches pretty well, and you adapt to uh, to chaotic situations in a in a very appropriate way, I find. So, and I'm getting more of a sense of that the more I lo- I've looked into your your past, your work, and what you're saying right now. So, um, we were talking a little bit about you know the good and the bad versions of immigration policies. You know, the idea of if you have a if you have a, a healthy, robust society that's abundance oriented, um, yeah. Definitely, you know, you you want to spread that abundance, help other people get a better better life, and if that means you know giving people some protection coming in, they want to uh, come into America and or any other country, um, and 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 that's fine. There's a legal way of doing that. There's there's jobs. However, we're in a controlled crisis as well. We're in scare. There, there's a death cult that I I mean I that's how I see it. I really do see that there's a logic of creating artificial scarcity that people are expected to adapt to as the industries are being shut down that once gave vitality the small and medium businesses and farms are being consciously shut down while at the same time you have this 
intention across Europe and North America to to increase rates of flooding in of uh, of immig immigrants, many of them illegal. Um, that's an issue. So where does this? What do you think is behind this in your words um as far as probably there's probably not just one reason for it but probably many but what are you what are you thinking about the the reasons for this policy being pushed now of immigration uh population reduction straight up eh? <clears throat> i'm gonna make it that simple for you population reduction yeah hey, uh, look uh, the idea is to dismantle the United States. So uh, let's take a step back because you'd mentioned earlier the Statue of Liberty, right? You said, well, send us your uh, your your weak, send us your tired, send us your poor and broken, uh, send us your persecuted. Uh, <clears throat> you know, that statue was put up and I stand by that. I, I want those who are persecuted, those who are I, – I would love it if if a million Chinese Christians who desperately wanted to be capitalists came into this nation over a period of five years. That would be amazing. I can't even imagine what a boom for our country that would be, right? But that's the idea. And that was written in a time when you had people fleeing wars around the world that we didn't have forward projection of power, forward projection of resources that we have right now. So when I did in civil affairs, our job was to sit here and do an analysis of what is the, is the best way to reduce human suffering during kinetic activity and, and assisting the battle space operator. Kinetic activity could refer to anything from a, a horrible typhoon to a, a famine to a war, right? So it's just the idea of how do, what, how do you populace and resource control? So that's how I analyze this thing. When you talk about people wanting to come here for a better life, my question is, is that uh, what does that define that for me? You know, are, are they coming here because they uh, they can't practice their religion and safety uh, without are they trying to be uh, um, ask for representation and a, and a vote in their country and they can't and they're fleeing that 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 to me is persecution. Those are the people who have share our ideals who we want to bring into our country and, and absorb them into the fabric of our nation. But the idea of taking people and saying, hey, they're having a tough time in this country over here, so let's just take in a bunch of immigrants. And we go, we know for a fact, and that's what we did in civil affairs, was figuring out how to locally source and do nation building and, and rebuilding. And essentially, there is a cheaper cost. Uh, uh, that We even look at the huge expense of the Afghanistan war, and I got to tell you, look at it in comparison to what we're now spending on illegal immigration. And when you think about what if we just taken all the Afghans in here, right? All the people, they'd come over here and the Afghani people, or Afghan people, excuse me, had come over here and uh, the cost, the burden of that, it's not something you can absorb. It's not something you should absorb. It makes the most sense to give their community, their country, the ability to rebuild. So if you flip that on its head and say, why have we suddenly moved against this doctrine that has worked, that is that's proven to have worked? Then you can only have to ask Occam's razor says there's a nefarious reason for this. I mean, how are people getting here? I mean, from from Africa. I mean, are they getting on little rafts and and floating across to Mexico and then sneaking up to the the border? I mean, it's not that's not the case. You and I both know that's not the case. Chinese aren't floating over on rafts. Uh, they're being given plane tickets that are expensive. They're being shipped away. You know, when you're seeing terrorists who just got out of prison in Azerbaijan showing up on our border inside the United States already accepted and and bragging about how we're going to know who they are. I mean, that's 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 scary. Yeah. I, I'm not smiling. I'm, I'm just like, I don't even know what to say to that. It's insanity. Like I said, it's national suicide. But who's paying for all of this and what's the purpose? And 
the only thing that I can come up with is destruction of the United States. The, as you just pointed out, they're buying up every means of production, limiting any ability for people to be independently uh, um, sufficient, self-sufficient. They just they don't want anyone to be self-sufficient. And that's part of what made America so great in the first place is we went through our westward expansion was this idea of being able to pull yourself up and 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 raise from the earth your own living. And as you said, during the 1930s, the Dust Bowl, which is essentially a manufactured crisis to turn around and take land from people and and create, uh, which which in turn created a boom in California, ironically, um, but cheap labor, again, flooding into an area. And that was an internal forced migration. Now, when you look at external and you see the same thing happening, essentially the grapes of wrath, right? Uh, but these people aren't moving into areas where there's abundance. Uh, it's It's false. We see the government correct their numbers very quietly after they boast of huge employment gains, when in fact we know that labor participation rates are still lower than pre-COVID levels right now. And yet suddenly we've pulled in 8 to 20 million illegals over the last three years. And that, that's what they are. They're illegal. Uh, so illegal immigrants are here. Uh, what? How are they being sustained? We see hyperinflation. We see shrinkflation on our shelves. I mean, it's so obvious that we're seeing the collapse. If I was to do an area study, a country study of the United States and used the metrics by which I was analyzing any other country, and I took the United States, like just took all the, the branding off of it, and I was just looking at all of the independent statistics, the facts, everything about that country. And I saw that you had a fairly stable state in Mexico and yet saw the poorest border and saw the enemies that we had abroad and that they were sending their worst here. Uh, again, if I, I went through all of that and did an analysis of the United States right now and I saw our hyperinflation, I saw our skyrocketing national debt, I saw no plan to pay for it. Uh, I, I would sit here at this point and I, and I saw this election and the, and the path it's going and I would say that you're looking at a failed state. Where we, yeah. That's where we're at right now. And and we're at a failed state because not enough people get involved. But that's what we are. And again, it's it's national suicide. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news and, and sound, but it's just a fact. Yeah, no, I I think that there's this problem that people often have of imposing their own of projecting outward their own sensibilities onto these macro processes and think and thinking, well, you know, I care about my self interest and my family. And so doesn't my my whole nation care about its self-interest? Aren't, aren't decisions being made for our self-interest in some way, even if it's wrong? The idea, should it, should it not be that there's some logic that that is reduced to our self-interest as a nation? And not really, not if your nation has been taken over as well. Or not if there not not if there are traitors who are not who who don't identify necessarily in their heart as being um nationally American, even though they might have been born in America. They're, they're, they might be technocrats who are more, you know, um, animated by some idea of a world government instead of it being a world run by sovereign nation states making decisions. Um, and that's hard for people to get the, to make that shift of gears and and think that, OK, no, there, there's a different type of agenda coming, shaping my world. So the fact that you were able to put that into words that way, I appreciate that. Um, I had read somewhere that there is a push right now to also or a discussion being had that's a serious discussion regarding um, in inducting some of these illegal immigrants or making it sort of facilitating a process where they could otherwise become part of the armed forces um, or some form of policing operations in America. Is that, what, what is this? Is that actually happening? So we, 
Yeah. So in L.A. County, I believe they just swore in the first illegal uh, immigrant police officers. And so, again, the, we, we use that term illegal immigrant across multiple uh, people, people who overstayed their student visas all the way to those children that were brought here. And they call them the, the dreamers or whatever they call them. So uh, what they like to do is they like to take the success story of the very one extreme, right? The kid who essentially was brought here at the age of one and then like went to Harvard and is now a, uh, a lawyer and and coming out of the closet as an undocumented. That They used that to cover up for the uh, for every one of those success stories, they're covering up for a hundred thousand to a million people who who aren't living that life, who didn't come here under those circumstances. And I, I think that is just lost on people. Again, it's all optics, right? And so yeah. get, again, we get why? Why would you do this? <laughs> I mean, why why would you do this other than uh, to cause to wreak havoc on a nation? A, a lot of people have been jealous of the United States for a long, long time, and. Uh, I know we make jokes about Canada, um, but I actually genuinely love my Canadian uh, brethren and sisters. They're just I, I've spent more time in Canada than I can tell you. Uh, I've, I've driven the tran I've stayed at, I've, I've driven the trans Canadian highway in the winter, uh, which was just on an insane bet once uh, just to go to every Tim Hortons I could. But the point is, is that it's you know, we are all in this together. And right now, the problems we're seeing. Uh, and that's and worse, the changing of laws to accommodate this, you know, the changing of policies, not public perception, but just quite literally changing policies. And and you had mentioned earlier the self-interest that's, you know, it, it, we're supposed to be looking out for our self-interest. Everyone is. And then when I say that, it means self, self-sufficiency, uh, your independent liberty, your independent safety. Um, our representative government is not supposed to carry forth their separate self-interests. They're supposed to represent the interests of those people who they have within their constituency. And and that's what they don't do. They go forward and they carry their self-interests. And and a lot of that, it just comes down to the old uh, adage, everyone just wants power. And, and COVID was about the worst thing that could have happened to the world because it showed people what even in a uh, republic or in a democracy, uh, what kind of power they could have the minute they could uh, filter the media, uh, the minute they could institute mandates. We're talking about down at levels. Think about your average. Let's look at it differently. How many times have you flown in the United States? How many times? Um, I mean, enough yeah, times. Yeah, uh, 15, 16 times. Okay. So I don't know how old you are, but did you ever fly pre 9-11? No, actually, it was only all my flying experience was was post 9-11. Okay. So so I can remember, first of all, going and meeting people at the terminal, right? But more importantly, I can remember what traveling in the air was like. It was like being in a essentially a hotel, right? You had uh, and I'm not talking about the leg space or anything. I'm just talking about the way you were treated, right? And then 9-11 happened, and all of a sudden we had new gatekeepers, right? And then yeah. you saw, uh, and and you saw a change in how you were treated, right? Yeah, people. I mean, all of a sudden, strip, stripping down into their underwear in public uh, to to showcase that they're not carrying something. And yeah, no, it's it's right. It's I mean, scary. okay. So, how many more hostilities have you heard about since nine? Uh, uh, I mean, as far as between unruly passengers and and flight crews and other things like that, obviously that has gone through the roof since nine eleven. Why? 
I'm going to answer it because it got way worse. What during COVID, right? When they had to wear masks on planes and things like that. It's yeah. because you gave a little bit of power to people. It's like the Stanford experiment laid out in large, where all of a sudden you had a bunch of people who were given up prisoners and they were prison guards and they were told, keep them in line. And you saw the worst of human nature come, uh, come play out. And I think you're seeing the same thing across uh, every industry right now in the United States. I think you're seeing the same thing happen with government. And I think you're seeing the same thing that happened at during COVID that you see with air. And I use the airlines as the example, but at every level, you're talking about Walmart greeters became, you know, essentially uh, uh, people who could t command you to do something or not, go, or you couldn't go buy food for your family. It's ludicrous. And when people get a taste of that power, it's insane. And then they think, wait a minute, we could have this global government where I get to snitch on my neighbor and make them do things that I believe. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's intoxicating, right? No, it's a, it's, it's, it's purely toxic. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and it's a, it's a, it's a stark way of putting it, but to create a, a society of self-regulating, self-policing little micro tyrants everywhere, that's exactly what happened. And you're right. That, that was really, it, 9-11 really ushered in that new psychological standard in, in so much of society. You're right. But then uh, the whole COVID insanity definitely spiked that to uh, amplify that uh, by magnitudes. So that's that's yeah, that's the way it's working. That's definitely it. Um, before we continue this conversation, we're going to go to a brief commercial break and we're going to come right back on TNT Live. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. One of the more amazing things I've seen recently took place last week at a Senate hearing looking into social media and the negative effects it has on our children. Here's Senator Josh Howley confronting Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. 37% of teenage girls between 13 and 15 were exposed to unwanted nudity in a week on Instagram. You knew about it. Who did you fire? Senator, this is why we're building all Who these did you fire? tools. Senator, that's, I don't think that that's... Who did you fire? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to answer that. Because um, <laughs> I mean, you didn't is, fire anybody, right? You didn't take Senator, any significant I, I action. It's appropriate to talk about it, it, like individual it's not appropriate. decisions. In, Do you know who's like sitting that. behind you? Holly then pointed out to Zuckerberg that in attendance were parents of children who have been harmed or, as he put it, are now gone. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? I... I, I I'm sorry for everything that you've all been through. It's terrible knowing that to go through the things that your families have, have suffered. Zuckerberg getting up and apologizing, of course, too little, too late. But what we saw was virtually unprecedented. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. 
Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. Thank you! Thank you! To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. Matt Arrett and connecting the dots on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome back for the third segment of the third hour on today's News Talk. I uh, am very, very happy that we are going to continue this conversation with Jason Storm Nelson on uh, the issue. Well, we you know we, we actually pulled a lot. We we've been dealing with the the uh, more negative agenda. Um, that's the that's the weirdest way of putting it. But the the death cults depopulation agenda. Uh, behind the whole illegal immigration issue that has sparked or a whole myriad of sub-crises that were already crises but are just exacerbating it. But it's all happening within the context of the fight to take back the nation. And, and in 10 months, if everything is able to, to stay on track, and there are a lot of things that could derail this train, but if everything can be kept on track, we're going to have an election in America. What? As an American, somebody on the ground who has run for office, your your what is your take on what Americans need to think about as they navigate through this uh, this storm? Um, Trump has a lot going. I mean, there's there the, the lawfare is loud. It's deafening. He was just I think uh, called upon to pay three hundred and thirty million dollars for uh, the most silly silly of accusations regarding um the property that he or the 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 value of his mar-a-lago uh property which apparently they say that this most <laughs> this most expensive high value property in all of america was only worth like 18 million dollars and so you know of course he has to pay now 300 plus million and can't operate in new york for like three years of course so there but that's just one of multiple points of the legal system being weaponized um, so one, do you think that there's going to be election? Are we, are we going to make it to the elections? Number two, uh, what do Americans have to think about as they navigate through this process towards that hoped for date that there is an election? Well, first of all, I, I think outside of of uh, even during World War II, we had elections. So I, I would imagine it would take something more than just uh, a candidate being having lawfare used against him. Now, I'm not saying that won't have end outcomes, but we'll still have an election. Um, I, I think that what most Americans need to think about, I, I've been saying this for, I don't know, 25 years. Look, we all agree uh, that you can debate where you want to end up. That's okay. I mean, that's that's what we're supposed to do, right? So we agree as a society, uh, and that's what, what what's up for debate. Where do we see the horizon? Where do we see, uh, how do we, you know, do we want American manufacturing? Do we want uh, to have unlimited energy, uh, uh, cheap energy? Do we want to have a, a booming economy? Do we want to have a nation of strong families? Do we want to have a nation where, uh, what, where we respect one another, but more than that, we feel a kindred spirit with one another because we all have the same goals. Um, we want to have educated children. We don't want to have indoctrinated children. You know, there, there are many things that we agree on. Okay, so we set that on the horizon. Then here comes the tough part. The tough part here in the United States is that we spend so much time and, and an incredible amount of treasure 
trying to sit here and uh, usurp the process of what is the best way to get to our goal? Because that's not up for debate. That really isn't. Like, I'll use COVID as an example. Why didn't they turn around and provide any sort of prophylaxis at all or any treatment protocol? I know because when my daughter was diagnosed with it, the answer was lock her in a room for two weeks, not mm-hmm. give her more fluids, not it was just lock her in a room and then take her out if it gets worse. That cannot be the best that medicine has to offer. As a matter of fact, even myself having responded to humanitarian crises around the world knows that that's absolutely the stupidest thing I could have ever heard, right? So I think that um, when you think as a nation, as we go through these, how do we achieve our goals? It's very clear that there are proven results in many things, and and we need to just glob onto those and be willing to be flexible. But sometimes it's going to be making some sacrifices. Sometimes it's going to mean uh, compromise, and, and that's okay. Again, uh, the compromise, though, isn't driven by ethics uh, within your own self. It's not driven by uh, some sort of moral code. It's driven by this is the solution, and the solution, this is the best solution. And if there is one where you sit here and say that, look, that solution just, I, we can't do it. It's so counter to what I believe in then guess what? You have to take that goal off the table, right? So you can't sit here and say that, for example, uh, we should take in every single refugee from around the world, whoever has, and set that goal. And then everybody goes, okay, well, it's going to bankrupt our nation. Are you okay with that? Well, are you? Because if you're not, then we cannot take in every immigrant from around the world, especially not if we're going to continue to follow with absolutely insane suicidal uh, uh, environmentalist cult that turns around and essentially has destroyed all manufacturing, all advanced uh, uh, development, all uh, uh, exploitation of natural resources, no matter. And by the way, we do it safer and cleaner than anyone else in the world, take more responsibility than anyone else in the world, and, and we're not doing it. And instead, we'll allow children to go and labor in mines in Africa, and we'll allow China to go and rape nations of their mineral resources and, and have slave labor camps. And we all sit here and smile and go, well, we're doing the right thing. It's yeah. insane. It's insane, yeah. That, what I mean, you alluded to the idea of nation building. And I, obviously, that that language language has been really abused and used to justify a lot of bad things as we all know right um regime change operations how many wars have been sort of launched in the name of defending the rules-based democratic order and freedom how many lives have been lost uh nation building is something that we've heard way too much of in some ways because it justified the rubble of Libya, of Syria, of Iraq, of so many nations that we were told, hey, we have to go and save them from authoritarians. And then, you know, well, now what? (laughs) Uh, But you were just alluding to the fact that, well, number one, maybe we shouldn't have destroyed those countries in the first place. And two, if we really cared about immigration from those countries, maybe we could put that money into rebuilding them and building a real economy, like real nation building, like the, the, the meaning of the word building a nation means building infrastructure, building... And I was reading a report uh, not that long ago, going through just the an estimate of what it would cost to just build up and industrialize Iraq and Libya, and it was something like two hundred billion dollars, like about the price that we've like poured into Ukraine, just to like create this complete meat grinder going nowhere fast. That same number could have actually industrialized and built up modern infrastructure in these countries that we otherwise 
brought back to the Stone Age. <laughs> um, do you see it? it po- is there a possibility of that type of spirit and foreign policy that is sane to to be revived? Let's say with Donald Trump uh, taking back control of the, uh, the the federal government, could could there be that sort of spirit, or people to um, have they forgotten how this sort of thing works to the point that they just don't know how how to do that? Well, okay, so that's a, a multifaceted question, and I don't want to burn yeah. through too many things, but you kind of have to just over gloss over certain things. Like, for example, I, I won't get into why I I think that anytime we uh, uh, go in and help a nation, it should be a loan, um, and that that should be our goal is to get repaid for that, right? So just giving somebody and and again, uh, uh, I, personal charity aside, we are a nation that believes in charity, but we have institutions that are set up for that. Our government is not a charity. So whenever our government goes in and does something, and the reason why I say it's not a charity is because it's important that we have accountability for what's spent, right? And and the only way to do that is to say, well, you're going to pay us back, right? And so how do you do what we have this, this word that's been co-opted called nation building, where people think of this idea of us just dumping unlimited treasure into a place, right? Um, that that's not the goal. So the goal is is that you turn around and create an environment in which they can return to a semblance of modern life that is moving upward from a third world country uh, to a developing nation to a first world country. You want to give them that infrastructure and allow them to do that. Uh, unfortunately, you can't mandate it. And as we saw in Afghanistan, when you're talking about, again, power, uh, uh, people actually trying to control a populace, whether it be through terrorism or through tribalism or whatever – um, you can't just mandate that that we're going to drop an infrastructure. So you have to have a cooperative populace. Now, at that point, you start talking about what you said, which is like a regime change. Well, my argument is, is that, again, unless you have because if we're going to make the argument that that anybody who's attacking their own population and killing them or running these uh, wars or terrorist operations. And my gosh, there's a lot of people around the world and a lot of terror groups that we could go wipe out very quickly uh, for a lot less money. So I don't think we're really in the business of actually helping people, but let's pretend we are. And if you wanted to, I think that you put them and and when you put people in an environment where they are, so so we have this thing called the wheel of progress. And what it says is, is that if you give people security, then people can, uh, you know, then have, uh, I don't know. Well, just I'll make stuff up in the order because I can't remember the exact order. But if you provide them security, then you're able to get food stability. And if you're able to get food stability, then you can stop uh, the flow of uh, of of people and 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 then reestablish, you know, infrastructure. And then turn around once you have infrastructure, you can have uh, governance and and it's just this this whole wheel, right? Sort or, of like a variation of the, the Abraham Maslow. Uh, right, 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 right. It's right. It's yeah. It's not the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but it's set up with if you do this, then this wheel happens, and the wheel starts turning, and it's a wheel of progress. Well, okay. in the United States, we went in and we said, well, we'll provide you security. Well, how do you provide security against terrorists? You can't do it, right? Well, I mean, even the British uh, Army lost because American patriots were using guerrilla tactics. So that's an old concept, right? Um, so we know that's not going to work. Uh, no. And what we the Chinese did, <laughs> the Chinese did is they went in and they dropped uh, mining equipment in these regions in Afghanistan. And they said, um, here you go. You got to pay us back for this. And they made a deal with extracting the minerals. And it, it wasn't a fair deal, but it wasn't an awful deal. And they said, or you guys can mess this all up and we're not coming back and no one's going to come and get this for you. And you would be shocked at how quickly they had 
uh, their economy up and running, which then mandated security happened and they wanted to protect it. It was self-ownership of it, right? And and the wheel of progress just kicked. And I had this conversation downrange, you know, where if somebody wanted to put in a television station in, in a in a province that didn't have electricity. And I was just saying, you know, they need radio stations. And so the nation building doesn't mean we have to go and make first world nations. What we have to do is go in and give people infrastructure that allows them to develop and grow. And that also, uh, I mean, you're not going to drop MRI machines in every single nation, uh, you know, uh, third world backwater. You're just not going to do it. But you could give people clean drinking water and you could turn around and allow them to be self-sustaining. And again, the cost of a living a day in Afghanistan versus the cost of living in the United States for a day, especially when you consider the comforts or in Canada, the comforts that you have developed as a first world nation. Um, that's, that's not nation building. That's not nation building. And we need to stop that because again, um, you, there, you're creating this false idea of what it is that the quality of life that's expected anywhere and everywhere. It's not our job here to turn around and give it, it's to provide opportunity, not, uh, uh, you know, a handout. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, that whole idea of helping people help themselves, that's, that's, it used to be more understood that that is, that is the real idea of Christian charity. Isn't just to give somebody a fish. Sometimes somebody's starving and they need a fish, but right, obviously what's really more important is to teach them how to fish. Obviously that should be common sense. What you just pointed out is to give them the means slowly to develop their aptitudes, their economy and do it themselves. And you can't just go from zero to a thousand right away. It's going to take some, some, some time and to do things properly. But, uh, but there's a certain lack of just common sense. And I think you see this as well with just this, I, this, maybe people are, are too addicted to computer models, shaping their idea of what energy policy should be or foreign policy should be on a military or energy level. I'm not too sure if it's, it's that, but there's this idea that, okay, the computer models say that um, we're going to get this outcome if we do this geopolitically, or if we if we just have a Green New Deal and just have windmills and solar panels everywhere and get rid of our dams, our dirty energy sources, just shut it all down, and 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 then we can have prosperity. And it's just, it, there's this inability to just think through the basic elementary mechanics of, well, how's that going to work? Well, I, Yeah, we, it, in the military, we call it, uh, or in civil affairs, we call it... Um... This first, so you have first of all, you have a measure of effectiveness. In other words, whatever you did, what are the metrics by which you measure that it worked, right? And then you have to analyze first, second, and third order effects, right? And and then on top of that, you have to go through a list of intended and unintended consequences, or what we call the worst thing in the world, the unknown unknowns, the what ifs, right? And all of that's supposed to be done before anything is implemented. I mean, it's not like any of this is new to us. The, the, the CIA World Factbook is available online to anyone. It has an analysis of every single nation on Earth. And you can go in and you can look and see uh, uh, what resources are available. And, and the military has a plan on how to integrate with every friendly nation on Earth and, and how to uh, ta uh, not take advantage of, but at least try to integrate uh, forcefully with those nations that aren't friendly, you know, to use those resources. So um, I, I'm just blown away by this idea. I think that that all of this chaos is happening right now, and it's so counterintuitive, all of our reactions to all of it, that again, and I don't mean to sound dark and, and, and scary about this, but doesn't this just feel so planned to you? 
Yeah, that that sort of that, that strikes one who who spends a little bit of time scratching and looking uh, behind the surface of things. Yeah, it doesn't take you long to to encounter that uncomfortable uh, little thing of intention, which is of course yeah, it's, not, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's just a conspiracy. <laughs> Right. Well, you know, that, that according to Cass Sunstein, um, that was actually one of the signs that you're dealing with a domestic terrorist is uh, if there if language, if language that is mistrustful of government authority or uh, smells like conspiracy theory, if you if you hear your neighbor or your coworker using that type of language, that's one of the signals that you might be dealing with a neighbor or a coworker who is a domestic terrorist. And so you should tell your authorities fast. <laughs> um, but that's you actually see something, say something. Yeah. It's just kind of like a, a, an expansion of see something, say something. Yeah, it, it's exactly It's that. Orwellian, though. It's Orwellian. I mean, look, look where we are as a society. Again, I, I get back down to, uh, as you brought up earlier in the show, they're, they're doing everything they can, can to control every single aspect of our lives. And as they do so, they are creating these um, – these false problems, these things that aren't really – and a lot of it revolves around this environmental uh, cult, right? But this idea that cow farts so you shouldn't eat beef. Oh, but China can continue to pump out uh, you know, just mega, megatons of, of, of pollutants for the next 25 years as a part of a treaty, but we need to eat lab-grown meat. Uh, you know, we, we can't have grass on our lawns because uh, that would be a misuse of water, but, but you know – India and China can pollute as much as they want because they've been get a, given a pass. And, and when you start to just look at these things and you realize that it's actually just to lower the quality of life. Um, and again, in the United States, we have the highest quality of life in the world, period. We our poorest people are our most obese. Not not starving, they're the most obese. That's that's not a sign of a society that is, uh, uh you know, lacking in abundance. That's a sign uh, that we are a sick society. It's a sign that uh, we've lost our way, but it's definitely not a sign of a, of a poor nation. Yeah, absolutely. No. And I, I, I think that the question of the national sovereignty power, like, I mean, the fact that uh, China basically said, okay, we were in the, the Paris Accords decarbonization uh, treaty, but we're going to use our national sovereignty to simply use as an authority to say, we're not going to do that because if we do it, then we're going to self-destruct. So we're not going to do it. They, We could do that too. Like every nation, if we're a sovereign nation, we can exit these these so-called binding you know, uh, green accords like the Paris Accord or COP28 or whatever. Any nation, if if it if it's a nation, can do that. It's not like we're saying no to mRNA um, experimental crap in uh, vaccines. China said no to the pressure of, of Pfizer and, and all of these other World Health Organization pressurizers. We could do that, too. We could simply have said at any point, no, we're not going to do it because we're a sovereign nation state. So we're not. <laughs> That's it. it. It's not that complicated, right? But uh, no, it's just this. It... Yeah, go ahead. No, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, I mean, it's it's the last minute here, so I figured, uh, you know, just ranting a little bit. <laughs> Let's go off the rails thing. now. Yeah. They're right <laughs> yeah. No, you're right, man. Look. Hey, hey, let's let's just be square about one thing, okay? Uh, yeah. uh, they don't enjoy us having freedom. So that alone, they, they're doing everything they can to stop your freedom. So that alone should tell you to hold it tighter, to hold it tighter and don't ever let go. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Jason, if people want to reach you, support your work, uh, pick up your products, where do they go? 
prepperbeef.com and you can follow me on exit at real jason nelson all right jason nelson thank you so much look forward to continuing this conversation maybe on eco eco insanity in a future discussion until then this has been connecting the dots on tnt radio today's news talk 